Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. This is the 26th program in this series, where I am in John chapter 6, and in a moment I'll be proceeding into John chapter 6, verse 27, and the verses following. To review a little bit about the verses before this, this was the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. That's how this is generally recognized. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. This happened when Jesus took his disciples out to a deserted place across from the Sea of Galilee. And the people found out where Jesus and his disciples were going, and so they went over to him. A more accurate estimate of the number of people, if you were to consider adding in the women and children, as Matthew mentioned during his account, if you were to consider adding them, it would be probably around 15 to 20,000 people who were present there in the deserted place, in the desolate place, the place where there wasn't enough food anywhere nearby for the people to be able to eat something. And so Jesus performed the miracle that was known as a miracle of Elijah, whereas Jesus took the food that was available to him and he multiplied it to the extent where everyone who was present would be able to have something to eat and they had more than enough to eat to the extent where they were full from the loaves and from the fishes. There was a lot left over. And then the people decided that they wanted Jesus to be king, and they were about to take him by force. They were about to forcibly take Jesus and make him into the king, the king of Israel. They were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee at this time, out in this desolate place, and so they were not in an area that was under significant influence by the religious Jews as there was in Jerusalem. And so the people would have been able to successfully do this without much opposition at all. They would have been able to assert Jesus as their king, and they would have been able to leave this desolate place and go to the land of Israel across from the Sea of Galilee and engage the Jews in that area all the way to Jerusalem, considering that this was about the time of Passover, they would have been able to engage the Jews and assert Jesus as the king of Israel, that they would have effectively be going into the promised land in a similar way as the children of Israel went into the promised land right after they obtained the law of God through Moses. Jesus recognized that this was what they were about to do, and so he sent his disciples Back across the Sea of Galilee, on the boat that they came in, he sent them by themselves. He did not go with them. He instead went into the wilderness. There were more than enough people 
who were present in that area who would have been able to keep an eye out for Jesus and to see if he was going to travel back to Capernaum or to the other side of the Sea of Galilee by foot, but he didn't go that way. He waited until it was dark, and then he walked across the water. That was how he escaped, because he was in a situation where he did now have to escape the population. He had to escape the people. Otherwise, he would have been established as the king of Israel in an inappropriate way, in a way that he did not come to be established as the king of Israel. When the people figured out the next day, they figured it out, that Jesus was no longer in the area anymore, the people traveled over to Capernaum and they found Jesus and they asked him when he got there. They were questioning him effectively who he thought he was or the fact that he wasn't really able to do that without their consent or without their permission. I believe they had a little bit of an attitude towards him and he confronted them right away and he told them, look, you are only here because you want me to give you food. That's why you are here. In John chapter 6, verse 26, it says, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. That's what they were looking for. And he tells them directly that from his point of view, they had no interest in him as a person. They had no interest in having a relationship with him outside of the fact that he would provide them with food. And if he provided them with food, if this was a problem that he solved for them, one of the problems of life is that you have to provide yourself with food to eat. And if they look to him to solve this problem, then they are looking to him in a way that he's not interested in being. He's not interested in having a relationship with them on the basis of this food, and so he effectively tells them that they need to go get their own. They need to go get their own grain, their own bread, their own fish. They need to just go get their own. But the way that he says it is in verse 27, where he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. That's the beginning of verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Well, they weren't laboring for the food that perishes, and that was the main issue. That was the point. They were not laboring for the food which perishes. The idea that they would travel or they would follow after Jesus was not legitimate labor from Jesus' point of view. So if he was to tell them, hey, you go get a job, you go do some work, You do something to contribute to the world that you are a part of. If he was to say that, then they could certainly do that. But that would not improve their relationship with him as a person at all. They needed to have a relationship with him on the basis of how he decided that he would be willing to have a relationship with them that he did have a lot to offer, but what he wanted to offer them was different from what they wanted to take from him, from what they wanted to receive from him. It was different. So he doesn't just shove them away and say, 
go get a job. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes in the sense that, well, certainly they're going to now have to go and do that. But he's telling them that that is not what he really wants them to be thinking about. Certainly they will have to do that in order to stay alive because he's not going to keep providing them with bread and fish. But he wants them to stay with him, to be with him, to have a relationship with him on the basis of what he does have to offer, which has to do with the gospel. It has to do with eternal life, with everlasting life. Again, in verse 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. If you're going to labor for anything, which you certainly are not laboring yet, but when you get started, think about this. Think about what else you're going to do, not just labor for your food, but what other kind of labor you are going to do to obtain the real food that I have to offer you. Because God has set his seal on me, as Jesus was saying, God set his seal on him, the Lord Jesus, and he has something to offer them. He has something that he wants to give them. It's just not what they're asking for. And that they need to be thinking about what he really has to offer them. But they won't think about that. They won't consider that. Verse 28, the next verse. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? They don't ask him about the food which endures to everlasting life. He just said that. He just said, labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. And they say, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Well, what about what he just said about the food which endures to everlasting life? That was ignored. They are not responding to that. He says, I have something to give you, and it is as if he had nothing to say. Why is he communicating with these people? Why is he having a conversation with them? Clearly, they are not interested in anything that he has to say, what he has to say, is of no importance. What he has to offer is of no importance, is completely insignificant, has no value whatsoever. The only thing that these people consider to be of importance, the only thing that is of importance, is what they want to take from the Lord Jesus. What they want him to give to them, which is bread and fish. So it doesn't matter what he says to them. There is no relationship. This is not a legitimate relationship. This is only about Jesus is present and they have come to him to take whatever they can get from him that they have an interest in, which is just bread and fish. So I want you to see how even though Jesus says something very important, very profound, and he says, this is what I'm really here for, the people ignore him. 
And because of this, there is no relationship between Jesus and these people. There is only one thing that Jesus can do in response to this. Exit. Leave. That's all he can do. That's what he did. He even walked across the water, walked across the Sea of Galilee in order to get away from them, in order to exit the relationship that they were wanting to impose on them. There is no other solution. If there is no communication, no legitimate communication between two persons, then the only alternative is for there to be an exit of the relationship because there isn't one. It's simply acknowledging reality. Exiting the relationship is acknowledging the reality that there isn't one, that there isn't one outside of one person trying to see something from somebody else. So again, in verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Did they really have an interest in working the works of God? Of course not. Absolutely not. That's not the kind of question that they are asking. They are not asking this question so that they can learn how to do the works of God or so that they might know what they should do in order to do the works of God. That's not what this question is about. This question is about the fact that they cannot do the works of God. They cannot work the works of God. Only God can do the works of God. Folks, I know that might sound a little awkward, so let me say it again. They know full well that they cannot work the works of God. Only God can do the works of God. They are asserting the fact that they cannot do the works of God, but that he can do the works of God. So he offers them everlasting life. And they reply to him and they say, but you are the one who can do the works of God. We cannot do them and we expect you to do your part. If there is going to be a relationship between you and us, then you need to do your part. And you are the one who does the works of God. And our part is what? It is to be the recipient of the works of God. That's our part. Our part is we provide you with someone to give to. That's what we do. And we make you look good. And we believe you. Well, at least to the extent that we're interested in. To the extent where it is something that we want to believe. And we follow you as long as you give us food to eat. But we will do our part. We will give you problems to solve. We will give you someone to feed. You can be charitable and we will be the object of your charitability. This is our service for you. This is our part of the relationship. You do your part. We do ours. And because we do ours, you owe us. You effectively owe us. And this is how a lot of people, even in our modern world, even in our modern age, relate to other people. There are a lot of people around us. There always has been and there always will be people 
who look to others to be the person who provides them with anything and everything that they need, and they genuinely believe that not only do they provide an equitable exchange by providing this person with someone to give to, but that their service is of such great value that the one who gives them what they need to sustain their lives owes them more. And in that way, that is a debt that can never effectively be paid. This is a reality of life. We have a legal system that supports this, that endorses this, when it comes to defining relationships between people. This is exactly how they're treating the Lord Jesus right here. They have no interest in doing the work of God. What would a religious person say in response? The most common response that a religious person would give is they would say, well, if you want to do the works of God, then let's go to the law. Let's go to the definition of what is good and what is evil so that we can make sure that we don't do any of these things that are evil and we will do all of these things that are good. And then you do these good things and you are doing the works of God. That is how a lot of religious people would try to answer this question. What shall we do that we may do the works of God? Well, here's the list. Here's the list. Here's the law of all the good things to do. In fact, there are a lot of volunteer opportunities that we have in addition to that. We have a lot of service projects. We have a lot of ways for you to be charitable, to give to those persons who are in need. Just as Jesus would give to those people who were in need. Now you can be just like Jesus and you can do the work of God. That is how a lot of people live. That's how a lot of people believe. And when people do these kinds of things, they expect to be blessed. When people do these works that other people dictate to them or give them the list of things to do, then they genuinely believe that God owes them, that God had better deliver. And it could be measured with bread and fish or an automobile or a plane ticket, or who knows what, who cares? As long as it is something of value to them, and he pays, he gives, he does something in response to you doing the works of God. That is how a religious person will generally address John chapter 6, verse 28. But Jesus, in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the work of God. And do they listen to him say that? No, they don't. They don't listen. And I'll show you that in just a moment. They don't listen to that either. But he tells them, look, if you want to be a part of the work of God, this is what God is doing. God is doing this. He is doing a set of things, a bunch of things to encourage people to believe him and to believe in the one who he sent, to believe in Jesus, to believe, to include when he says that he has something to offer them, food which endures to everlasting life. How about believe that? No, you're not going to believe that either, are you? They completely ignore that. It is as if he said nothing. It is as if the work that he is involved in, that he is doing, is nothing. 
So he tells them, this is the work of God that you believe. Do you want to be a part of this work? You can be a part of this work. You can participate in this work. It's not about what you do or what you don't do. It's about what you believe. So believe the truth and you can be a part of the work of God. If you want to do the works of God, then you must believe your God. You must trust in your God. You must rely on your God. You must be resurrected to everlasting life. You must be eating, in this abstract way, from the source, from the person, from the bread. You must eat of the bread of everlasting life. You must have Jesus within you, the Holy Spirit of God within you. And as he lives within and through you, then you will do the works of God. That will be a real transaction. But Jesus can't even get this far. He can't even approach this because the people are not paying attention to what he has to say. Again, in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So believe in him. So do it. And you can even encourage other people to believe in him too, to believe in me. In verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now think about this for just a moment. They traveled great distance in order to find Jesus because of the miracle that he just did concerning giving them bread and fish. They find him and they ask of him, they ask him to give them more food in effect. And Jesus tells them, I know why you're here. You're here just because you want me to give you some more food. That's what you're doing here. And so he has already provided them with more than enough evidence. He has already done many signs for them to be able to remember and believe him. But that is not what they are interested in. They do not want to believe him. They do not want to believe in him who he sent, according to verse 29. They do not want to believe in him, Jesus, whom God sent. Therefore, they do not want to do the works of God. They are only there because they want to get bread and fish from Jesus. And they use a form of manipulation in verse 30 to try to get more bread and fish out of him. A manipulation. A manipulation in the sense of, you do this for us again, and we will believe you. In other words, as long as you feed us, we will believe you. But if you stop feeding us, we will stop believing in you. It's a form of extortion. Give us food or we won't believe in you. It could also be viewed from the perspective of blackmail. You left us and you have failed to give us food. You owe us and you had better pay up or we are not going to believe in you. Either way, it is dishonest. It is a manipulation. That's what it is. 
Look at verse 31, John chapter 6, verse 31. They continue, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, Moses did not give them the bread. God gave them the bread before. He is offering them a form of bread now. In verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is what he has to offer, life to the world, everlasting life. And they were not willing to receive what he had to offer. In verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Well, what bread? They're talking about the bread that they just got from across the Sea of Galilee. That's what they're thinking. That's what they're dealing with. That's what they want. They don't want Jesus. They want his food. That's what they want. Now, think about this for just a moment. The Lord Jesus provided them with a miracle so that they would see that he is who he claimed to be. They would know that he is a person who they are to believe in, who they are to believe. But that is not the kind of relationship that they were willing to have with him. So he exited the relationship. That's what he did. They followed him here to try to keep it alive. But he is going to make sure that they will not have a relationship that he does not approve of. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 26th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I spent some time in John chapter 6, verses 27 through 32. And the main purpose of this program was to show that the discussion that was taking place between Jesus and the people, the people who he fed during the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, that these people were not willing to have a relationship with Jesus in a way that he was willing to have a relationship with them that they were certainly talking to each other, but the people were not listening to Jesus. They were not willing to consider that what he thought was important was important. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net